of the tape for this, our main event of the evening. We introduce the champion, Chris, the West Side Strangler Brennan. Let's get it all! Hey guys, we are here with Rich Chow. Um, I'll, I'll quickly give a the things that I know and then you can kind of fill in the gaps real quick of what you've done. I know that you worked with Super Brawl, Elite XC, Strike Force, Bellator. You're now doing Wimp to Warrior, which is Alta, um, and that's going really well. What any other organizations that I that I missed? Well, was it actually, Elite XC? Uh, before Elite XC was actually Rumble on the Rock. Oh, Rumble on the I Rock. But I actually did fight in Super Brawl, uh, and I know TJ very well, and we ended up working together later. But uh, I actually got started on the promotional side with Rumble on the Rock, and, and that, that was with BJ and JD. Yeah, JD was really running the show. BJ was fighting, you know, okay. head, head, headlining the cards and really helping helping us grow. But, you know, JD uh, was was the brains behind the uh, the business side. And uh, he's uh, one of my my closest friends, you know, considered my brother. And uh, he yeah, really gave me my um, big break. So, yeah. Did I forget any other organizations in there? Um, oh, man, there's been I think those are the main ones. Yeah, I went from Rumble on the Rock, Elite XC, Strikeforce, Bellator. You know, a couple things in between where I helped out other organizations, and but right. yeah, for the most part, I'd say those are the big ones. Sweet, um, born on Guam, born on Guam, where we met. Right. Now, uh, so I was gonna, I was curious. I remember being on a flight with you, either from Hawaii to Guam or Guam back to Hawaii, and I also remember you in Guam or on Guam. So I don't remember which one was which came first, um, but probably the the fights on Guam. Yeah. So. If I remember correctly, man, that was what, 20 years ago or so, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Damn. That's crazy. Uh, <laughs> you were a kid. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I was just, uh, you know, this was before I even started uh, with with JD and I and, uh, was just getting settled. So if I remember correctly, I was training at Grappling Unlimited. I had moved to Hawaii. Okay. I was training with Egan and Barrett and the whole crew over there at GU. And we were bringing guys over to fight on Guam. So that's that was a good time, a really fun time where I was able to work with the two promotions on Guam. I mean, it was crazy back then too, for such a small island, having two great shows going on, it was good for right. for the camps that were able to, to make all those trips. And so I would bring guys over and, and help find them talent from Hawaii. And I remember, yeah, being on the uh, same trip as you, the same flight, and then our guys fighting on that same card. Yeah, we got, I don't know how it worked out, but we fought on one weekend for um, John Cowboy and those guys stayed. And the following weekend, I had two other guys fight for Roman on that other organization. <laughs> so I was actually, we, we came a few days early and stayed a, a day late. I think I was there for probably 12 days uh, straight. And, and we had stayed at a really nice hotel on the beach and Carmen Electra was there doing a movie with the... Uh, the guy who plays, um, he's in Point Break, real jacked guy that, that was fighting him at the beach. Um, he was also in Cyborg. But uh, yeah, there was like so much went on over that whole entire time we were there. And and that's, I think, I forget who fought on the first card, my brother and Josh Smith maybe. And then the following time was Adam and Buck and uh, or the other way around, I forget. But it was great, great time over there. It was, you know, a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, uh it's crazy how the two promotions were able to, I mean, Guam's really small. Yeah. And to have two promotions, you know, thriving at the same time, usually there's only room for one. Yeah. And it reminds me, so it was PXC and Fury 
And over in Hawaii later on, we had Rumble on the Rock and Super Brawl, which we became icons. So to, to be able to witness on the islands, right. you know, these two promotions competing with each other, it was, but it was fun. Like the fans benefited. And I think a, a lot of fighters did as well, but that's very rare. Like you don't see that usually in a small town, uh, there's just one, right. uh, one promotion sticks around and establishes itself and kind of like, you know, weeds out the others. Um, but to have two simultaneously doing great shows is, is rare and it was a really fun time. And it's real small, right? Like the most of military base and, and then residents and not a whole lot, the beach. and 150,000 people or so. Total, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, so it's not. I mean, you, you can drive from, you guys probably did it at one point, drive from one end of the island to the other and yeah. like hour and a half or an hour or so. <clears throat> I don't know if you were there. I, I think I had two trips there besides the one long one. I think there was one other one. But they asked me to ref Dan Severn and um, uh, he, King Kong. Kong, yeah, from GU. I brought so, Kong. So they fought. But that same night was a, a guy who was kind of a thug, you know, uh, you know thug guy, gangbanger guy versus a guy from, that was a cop. And I ref this match. And the cop knocks out the other guy. The other guy's from Ensign's gym. The cop knocks this guy out. And I'd never refed in my life. And I, I don't, why they asked me, I don't know. But I, I ref him in that fight and Dan Severn's fight. Well, I stopped the fight. The guy got knocked out. Uh, everyone starts complaining and yelling at me. <laughs> yeah. So they, they, no lie, they had to take me out from, like, under the ropes, put me in the back. They transferred us to our hotel. We ended up having to move because I was on the phone trying to get a hold of Ensign. Ensign wasn't there, but literally all these guys were, were, you know, after me. And I'm like, bro, they just literally asked me tonight if I would ref. And we are like hiding out on Guam. I'm like, yeah. this place is number one's way too small. We are way outnumbered. And I know Ensign pretty well, you know, we had fought in pride before. And, and I was like, I just need to reach him, you know? And, and it took a number of hours before I finally got in touch with him and as cool as me and him were, that was his guy. So he's like, hey, let me see the footage. Let me see the footage. And they had, they had to get him footage of what happened before he's like, yeah, yeah, he was out. That was a good stoppage. And then he, they called off the dogs. And I was like, what if it wasn't? Were you going to just tell him to come get me? Yeah, it was you crazy. Know, uh, I remember that night, it's Steve Roberto versus Manny Chong. Manny, yes, is, the, Manny. Is, the, is the police officer. Yep. Um, Steve, very good friend of mine. We were training together. I was actually in his corner. I just flew back that night. Yeah, I was there. Oh, it was. I, I remember. I, I'll send you a photo later. So you can be it, honest. It was me. Was it a bad? Was that? No, it, it was. It was fair. He got dropped, and then you came in. Landed a couple, and it was. And I. Yeah. yeah it, and and those are the rough ones when the guy gets up right away, and you're like, oh shit, because I I I've actually refed about uh, close to a hundred fights in okay. Hawaii. Okay. Um, under the uh, Rumble banner, um, basically I would match work with JD to match the uh, the big cards. And then on the smaller um, local shows, I would ref. Okay. And so, yeah, the worst is when you stop a fight and the guy, and he was in a bad position and you, you see him taking damage and you yeah. think you, you did the right thing and you probably did. And then they pop right back up and start complaining. You're like, ah, oh, damn. Yeah. And, and I didn't know the guy, like I say, is a thug. They, that's what they build it as. Sure. It was like the, the cop versus the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Steve Roberto, we call him Bert. Yeah. He, he had gotten into some trouble yeah around that time so yeah it was the big the big you know that was the big fight on guam yeah and uh 
Guam is crazy, man. I've taken a lot of guys there. And I mean, Hawaii, Hawaii as well. I've, I've seen so much happen on the island when I was there. Yes. And if people don't know Ensign and Egan, those are two guys that you should fear, right? Yeah. They know everybody. Ensign runs deep, right? Yeah. And so I was just like, oh, this is like the worst case scenario ever. Why couldn't I have stopped the, the cop and had the cops right. mad at me? You know, you know it's it, terrible. Both islands are crazy. I think, you know, natives are restless kind of, yeah, uh, of course. scenario. But I think Guam, as you said, being smaller, it's hotter, whatever the reason, man. I, the local boys are, they're down, they're, they're pretty crazy. So that's that scenario you've been in where you're at the hotel, like worried yeah. guys are gonna come and, and, and snatch time. you. No, it, <laughs> it's happened. Uh, and in several other situations like that where a fight gets stopped and uh, yeah. you know, the, uh, the hometown fans are not happy and, and they, want, they want blood and they want Chris Brennan's head. Yeah, I was like, so I'm never refing again. I don't care who it is. You know, I'm not Being interested. a ref is the worst. I'm not man. interested. Being a ref is yeah. the worst. It's like you could have refed ten fights that night. Nine of them would have been just really great. You know, good calls, and then you, one is controversial, and you suck, right? And everyone's trying to kill you. But uh, so thinking back, I would think that Dan Severn would have been a main event. But was he not? Was that were they the main event? Because I feel like yeah. when that fight was over, that was it for me. That was, was the done. big. That was why people were there. Okay. You know, Dan's a legend, obviously. Right? right. Much respect to him, but and a pioneer. But people were there that night to see Bert and and Manny go at it. And I remember that that night. Um, I think Dan stopped Kong. Maybe the second round or yeah. so. And uh, I remember going back to the hotel with Kong and then he was just, he was trained so hard for that. He was so devastated. He thought this was like his big opportunity. And it still was, I, anytime you can step in right. the ring or the cage with somebody like that, I think it's a win-win, right? All you can do is, is uh, learn and, and grow from it. But yeah, I remember that night very well now that you're, you're bringing it up. All these, yeah. these memories and details are all coming together. I will send you that pick later. Somebody sent it to me not that long ago, maybe a few years ago, and they said, hey, remember this? And it's Bert in the corner getting ready to go. And Ensign Melker and I are, are there. Melker, the the, who's a stud. Yeah. Little guy, right? Yeah, he's yeah. a stud. Yeah, I, I got a newfound respect for heavyweights that night, the power, because Dan Severn, not known as a power puncher, was on top of him in, in half guard or guard and just landing body shots and standing in the ring while he was landing those body shots, which was like, boom, boom. And I was yeah. like, holy smokes, you know, and he's not even a, you know, not known as a heavy hitter at all. Yeah, uh, more so of a was, grinder, yeah. right? But yeah. Something yeah, what he, does a he, big heavy hitter sound like or feel like is crazy. Yeah, he, he hurt Kong that night yeah. we went back he was all busted up and yeah just you know dan dan's the man all right so that's where me and you started yeah 20 <laughs> years ago i didn't even on an know island in the you were South in the Pacific. corner that night so that makes it even crazier because now i'm like god maybe it was wrong no it was <laughs> man it was a big deal that night we all went back to the hotel right everyone wanted to watch it again and and uh and talk about it and and you know obviously steve you know bert wasn't wasn't uh, satisfied, right? Which is understandable. Sure. But um, I believe you know they had a rematch later, and did it go the other way? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, then yeah. prove me, prove, prove me <laughs> wrong even more. <laughs> All right. So from there, uh, and and you, do you know how old you were? You were young, right? Yeah, I was early twenties. Yeah, early twenties. Just just training jiu-jitsu just learning everything just just happy to tag along with all my my big bros in the game and learning and just 
taking it all in. It's funny you say that because I felt like you already knew everyone, like you were already in with everyone. And and I talked to somebody recently about you and um, kind of told them the avenue you're going now. And and they're like, does, does he really know everyone? I said, bro, he knows everyone. <laughs> like from, from day one, if there's anybody that I would ever want to ask about somebody in this sport, you're the guy I'd want to ask because oh, wow. it kind of goes – you know, hand in hand with you from day one till now has just been unreal, the connections that you've had. You know, that's been my, um, thanks for acknowledging that. And I feel like the, being 43 now and being in the, in the industry for as long, I as, long as I have been and, and just really feeling blessed to have all the experiences I've had, I look back and to me, I'm most proud of, and I think the reason for my success is uh, and longevity is just, not the smartest, you know, I, 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 you know, wasn't necessarily the best at, at any one thing. I've never claimed to be the best matchmaker, manager, whatever. It's just, just being able to, to adapt and, in, in, in different environments and just be cool. You know, I, 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 I was just sat back, kept my mouth shut and learned from all these guys from Ensign, Big John, Melker, Egan, so on and so forth. And then when I met the Penn family and all, all the guys that, that I, I interacted with and met, through them i just love to be around the sport love to learn and just be around ogs like yourself and just shut my mouth and took it all in you've definitely done it right because <laughs> literally in all, all the time i've never heard not not even a bad thing about you but never even a, a negative eh, you know it's like everything has always been good and, and that's hard to do in a not only in a sport but in a sport that spans from you know continent to continent and state to state and and you've been involved in so many different you know, organizations and situations and still be, you know, on the up and up all the time. It's a uh, commendable. Thank you. <laughs> Thank sure. you. Yeah. That's the thing I'm most proud of. Um, had some great moments, some not so great moments and everything in between. And I think the key, like nowadays I got some, some uh, kids that want to get into the industry and will ask me for advice. And, uh, you know, that's what I'll talk about is just just learn just yeah. take it all in um do the right thing uh, you know several times there were opportunities like like for example uh elite xc going under um just kind of going down with the ship so to speak right. you know at that time there were a lot of people uh throwing others under the bus um self-preservation mode distancing themselves just trying to position themselves so where they weren't attached to it and could go on and do other things and and I and I just you know I just kept my mouth shut yeah. and just just took it all and 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 just kind of remained true to myself and I didn't pick you know just just really stayed calm and and just weathered the storm and it's happened a few times and I think that's where I've been able to even in bad situations maintain people's you know respect right um, having to make tough decisions, uh, whether it's cutting a guy or giving him bad news, just always being upfront about it whenever possible and just being straight up and honest and walking away might not be happy or satisfied with the outcome, but at least they can say, Hey, that guy was straight cool. up right. and cool treated me it. with respect and, and did it like a man. Cause that's what everyone deserves in this game. I've, I've respect everybody from the world champ you know to the guy who's just getting going if 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 you're going in there with respect and 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 heart um i'm gonna give you that back right you know and, and i think that's what's helped guide me through again i'm not i'm just a huge fan of the sport that 
respected everyone, especially the OGs, and just took it all in, and that served me well. Awesome. So, so first matchmaking job, or kind of started matchmaking, was during the the Rumble on the Rock with JD. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, you know, uh, uh, previously those Guam days, those early days, you know, it kind of gave me a, 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 a feel for it. Like the guys on Guam would say, "Hey, you know, whether, whether it's Eli and Joey." Or, or Roman, you know, they they hit me up and say, hey, this is what we're what we're looking for. With Hawaii being closer than California, obviously, it was right. easier and cheaper to bring some of those guys in. And you know, the whole island vibe was cool. Um, going from Guam to Hawaii, the Guam fans would always like the Hawaii fighters, and um, so that's how it kind of started. Hey, this is who we're looking for. What do you think? And I'd be at the gym and we'd talk to the guys. And then after a while, I'd branch out and talk to other gyms as well, not just the guys from GU, but try and find, like if, if we couldn't find anybody right. at the home gym, you know, I'd go out and use some of those relationships. And so that's kind of what would give me a little taste and a feel for the game, so to speak. And then when I got into, uh, when I met JD and he, he offered me um, a, uh, a, a shot, you know, with, with the organization and basically jump in and learn with him. And he said, I, I'd like you to focus on matchmaking. And then he'd show me the ropes and, you know, give me some pointers and tips. But that's where I took it to the next level and actually was, I guess, more official. Right. And then started dealing with, you know, bigger camps and bigger named fighters. That organization was pretty awesome. And that, that's where, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, BJ fought Henzo. Yeah, BJ fought Henzo. Shiruto used to fight on that card as Shiruto well? Shiruto used to fight on that card. That was kind of Shiruto's breakthrough that yeah. got him into the UFC. I believe it was beating Gil, Gil Castillo uh -huh. the way he did. That was on the same card that BJ fought Gomi. Okay. So BJ fighting Gomi at the time, remember the UFC didn't have a lightweight division right, right at that time. Or it was, just, you know, it was, uh, you know, kind of they hit the reset button on it. So at that time, that was like, those were the best lightweights in the world Yeah, fighting in Hawaii in the Rumble. That was a big deal. When I fought in the UFC for against Militic for the belt, it was for the 170 belt, but it was lightweight. Right. That was at that point in time. That was the lightweight belt, and then later they added 55. Uh, 170 became welterweights, and then 55 became the the lightweights. That's and that right. Was when it started with BJ and Jens, and it kind of went from there. Ironically, the night BJ fought Jens the first time, I fought Gil Castillo on that card ah. and, and lost a, a terrible, boring, boring, boring decision. Um, I couldn't stop his wrestling, and and. All I heard all night was Henzo, watch out for the triangle, watch out for the armbar, watch out for the triangle, watch out for the armbar. And he just constantly, you know, would, would and that was it for, for 15 minutes. But, um, yeah, it's so crazy how everything comes around with, with the, all of the fighters, different weight classes and everything, but we all still met somehow. Yeah, those old days, you know, there's, some, there's something to be said, and maybe this is just part of the process of getting older. The older I get, the better it was or you know the oh, yeah. more special it was like i just have i've developed i'm so nostalgic these days yeah. like you and i just every time we connect we'll always manage to somehow end up going back yeah and talking about about that era um so that's yeah i and i think that's important because there's so many fans it's not well documented what happened back in the day mm -hmm. you know it's terrible footage it's almost like what we're doing now it's almost like this oral history being passed on the storytelling yeah right because we don't you know there's some photos maybe some some really bad quality footage but man the fans now don't really don't know no. what it was like back then how crazy it was and how cool it was yeah it was it was definitely different you know it was <laughs> so cool i see i don't know if you remember joe gold that owned full contact oh, fighter yeah. yeah but he he started following me recently after i did a, a different podcast 
and then I started following him and some of the pictures that he posts that he took way, way back in. I was like, oh man, like just crazy back then. Uh, it, it was just, it was just so different. And the fans were hardcore fans, you know, hardcore fans back then. And uh, everything was hardcore. Yeah. I mean, that's the, when, when, the when I get asked, hardcore. everything was hardcore. <laughs> there was no commissions. Even back then in Hawaii, there, there was no athletic commission. We'd, yeah. you rent the Blaisdell rent a place to host weigh-ins and you show up and fight we didn't have to clear anything with anybody and you know uh, that changed uh you know uh, years later but yeah those early days man it was the wild wild west and people will ask me what's the difference or and and there's several but you know it was just a special time it was more like gladiator days you know there was no money you know people weren't doing it (laughs) people weren't, weren't doing it for the money there was no fame uh, you did it because you really love to do it. And that, that's what, that's why I say that, you know, these days it's a sport and it's great. I think we're both happy to see it grow sure. and, and we're benefiting from its growth and it's great. People are able to make money now, get famous, get sponsors, get the respect that, that they deserve. But back then it was just, you did it because you loved it and it wasn't about money. You didn't care who you fought. There wasn't this long process of analyzing an opponent. No. I mean, guys were taking fights. They definitely shouldn't have taken, but that just speaks to the, uh, just kind of the attitude and the spirit of the time. It was just, people just wanted to fight. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've been to fights when I was in California where we would show up and they would start looking at guys like, you got, you two fight, and they'd move over. You two fight. What do you weigh? Yeah, you got, no scale. What do you weigh? Yeah, you guys, you'll be next. So just the be, eye test, right? You guys look yeah, about the same size. You'll be like, one, fight one, fight two, fight three, and guys would just, and they fight. Yeah. Like, you'd never get, no, 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 no. You know, they would, they would fight. And uh, it was just, it was nuts back then, but that's how raw it was. That's how real the sport was when it started was, it was, it was a fight. (laughs) Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was special. And obviously now it's big biz Yeah. and, you know, fighters have brands now and a fight has to make sense, you know, in several different ways. And, and, and I get it again, it's all good. It's a real sport. It's legitimate, but, um, you know, there's moments where I just laugh or I, I would get frustrated because I think back to the old days like, oh, well, this yeah, this didn't happen back in the day. Guys right. just, you know, wanted to fight and took it and we didn't have these long conversations about the path that it would take them in their career. But but again, that's very necessary. And, and I'm glad I mean, you and I talk about all the time to connect it where, where, with the roots and where you came from to where, you know, Luke's at now. Right. Yeah, it's. You're, you're, you're handling his career properly, taking your time, being patient. There is a path. Um, and your experience and your background <laughs> just makes it, you know, like, like you know what you're doing. I, I thought about it the other day with him. Uh, he's at fight seven now as a pro. My fight four, five, and seven was Pat Militech, who was number one <laughs> yeah. in the world at the time. So basically that's like him three fights ago fighting Pitbull three times. Yeah. <laughs> like that's how it was back then. It was just that that's what, you know, that's that's who I want. And and they asked me to fight and I said yes. It was a good fight. So two months later we did it again. It was a good fight. So two months later we fought in the UFC. But it was just crazy the the difference between now and then and, and the skill levels, right? The yeah. the the skill levels now are, are insane and, and the lengths that people are going to to train and strength train and everything that's involved in a in a fight camp now like my camps were two weeks long in big bear just to get acclimated to to altitude and then we would you know we would fight but i'd have a long drawn out you know get prepared 
Right. I'd rather bump shoulders with you and turn around and fight than three months from now, I'll meet you after school right. in three months. That's the hard <laughs> yeah. part. Right? Yeah, for sure. The preparation, uh, what it does to you mentally and physically. But uh, yeah, you're right, what you said earlier, the level now, it's the highest it's ever been. It's sure. freaking amazing. And I think a large part of that, and this is connecting to you and Luke again, and I've seen it with the McKees and, 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 and like there were kids that have gr grown up on the mat, right. that, that have grown up training. It, it wasn't like back in the day where guys couldn't make the US team anymore for wrestling. So they transitioned to fighting in like their 30s, right? right. Like Dan and Randy and other guys or, you know, you training later on right. as an adult, right? Really sure. getting good quick and then going to fight now. They're so damn good because they started training. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, was 21 got, when I first started training at all. Right. And how old was Luke when he started? 11. Yeah. Yeah. Probably training, uh, grappling, right? Yeah. Jiu-jitsu. Jiu for a couple wrestling. of years and then started wrestling in high school and so on. But he went in for the first couple months was hit and miss. And then it was just, that was it. Nonstop. That's all they did. Yeah. It's crazy. That's what I've seen <clears throat> with talent. And then, you, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll have a, a parent someone like yourself and Antonio, these guys that I, I grew up watching and, and respecting and they come forward with their kid and you're right. like, oh man. And, <laughs> I and, see people at the fights now, they're like, what are you doing here? I was like, my son's fighting. <laughs> like what? Zabit, just, just this last fight, he was looking at me and he goes, um, coach, he goes, your son, or not your son, he didn't know yet. He goes, your fighter looks look like your son. And I said, it is my son. Yeah, and he was like, oh. And yeah, then he no shit, told did all you the see the years? Guys. Come on, man, yeah, wasn't like, that the dead, dead, dead giveaway? giveaway? But yeah, it's been, you know, uh, it's definitely a different approach when it's your, your son fighting than your fighter fighting, yeah. you know? And even then you care so much about your fighters, you get more nervous for them fighting than, than yourself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that seems to be the case. You're, you'd rather be the one fighting because you can control things. Yeah. But when you're in the corner, right, it, it, everybody just says, you're <laughs> screaming, you're, 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 you're just doing everything you can to try. Like you wish you could go in there and start making these adjustments, but you're, right. you're just pulling your hair out in the corner. He, he, he's been so calm and it's kind of like touching base on what you're talking about as far as people getting ready or, or being older, being young, he had before his first fight over 300 jujitsu and wrestling matches. You know, Tyler, when he decides to, to fight when he gets out of college, he'll have three or 400 plus whatever he's done in college, you know. So there is a little bit more of comfortable, you know, that comfortability walking into the cage uh, because of the stuff that you have done. Still, the, obviously, the, the nerves of the fight, but it definitely helps if you've done something like that a million times as opposed to never done it and here we go. Yeah, he's a gamer, right? Yeah. And they have all these great opportunities now. Like, you can compete in something every damn weekend, I feel like, right? Yeah, oh, Grappling, yeah. you want to go do a smoker. It's out there. And I think all these things have contributed to the growth of, uh, of the sport and made the level what it is today. It's, you know, I know we talked about how maybe the fighting spirit isn't the same. Right. But, man, the level. These guys yeah. are so damn good everywhere. Um, every organization has just studs and killers it's pretty cool to see like thinking back who, who who fights now that could endure what ensign did fighting was it mark kerr i think uh, uh igor 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 that put him in the hospital yeah, like, and and that, that was a fight was you know and everyone else nowadays uh that fight stopped you know oh yeah early on <laughs> i yeah it's uh 
yeah, there, there's not too many guys. Yeah, it's funny. Ensign just uh, he was on another podcast, um, and he posted or a quote or a clip got posted up recently that he he said the same thing, like exactly what we're talking about back in the day. Yeah, it was different, and why he fought, and 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 he touched on that, and he just brought up everything he went through. I mean, he was always. I mean, that's why I became a fan first, and I'm I'm really glad I got to know him and. And learn from him but you know he was the guy that every time i go in there i'm prepared to not not walk out yeah. you're like oh, oh my yeah. god right like yeah, he means it he's oh, not the guy talking i'd rather die in there than he lose. proved it several yeah. times and numerous he, times yeah he fought guys he shouldn't have been fighting when you think about it like from a a modern weight class yeah. perspective yeah. i mean you, you did the same everyone did that back then but remember he was in pride fighting kerr both chanshin uh big nog so yeah. on and so forth I just saw him, Ensign, last year. Uh, I went to Hawaii to teach a seminar at Babos. And uh, Ensign, I guess, lives in Japan now, but he's got a jewelry deal mm -hmm. on the island, and he happened to be there when I was there, so we went and saw him. It was very cool to see him. It had been maybe 15, 16 years since I had seen him. And uh, big boy. You know, he's a big boy. But, um, yeah, man, he's, a, he's an icon. He's a guy that... There will probably never be another ensign as far as no. you know, one of and, one. And not only that, even if there was, they would never be able to prove it because the refs would never let a fight go like they did yeah. then. You know, yeah, so there's you, no open weight fights anymore. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so it would that's get awesome stopped. for him to, you know, have that and, and basically know that he was as, as gritty and tough and, and, um, his fighting spirit as it gets. Yeah, uh, his fight with Frank, I believe that was in Shuto, or no, uh, Valley Tudo Japan. His fight with uh, Frank is like still one of my all-time favorites. I mean, they yeah they Shamrock. went at it. Yeah, 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 yeah they yeah. went at it, and that was just that was a beautiful fight. Um, yeah, I, he's a guy that um, it wasn't always necessarily about the win, right it was about and i think he addressed that in this clip that i referred to earlier it was like look i like look at my record but every time you knew right you know if you were a fan you you, you saw you know heart effort you know try to put on a show and go for it and he, he came up short in that fight with frank but i think even frank says to this day that's the hardest fight of his career yeah I'm and, sure. and just that's what um that's what people love to see. That's, what, that's, that's why the Japanese fans loved them so much. Pride and Shooter both over there. They did not care if you won or lost the fight. They wanted you to fight yeah. from the bell. They wanted you know they wanted to see you fight, and they'd tell you straight up like, you're you're, you're going to get invited back whether you win or lose if you go out there and yeah. and fight with your spirit. And they and you know they end up with a lot of guys like that, but but not a lot of guys to the to the extent of, of ensign but um yeah it was it was amazing back then especially fighting over there i, I mean shit, they used to give red cards and deduct take money away from you like you can't do that yeah. here they would take a yellow card would take 10 percent right off yeah. the bat one more yellow card the next one's red and that's a that's a wrap they yeah <laughs> they would take money away from you for being boring and during a fight and being boring yeah you know um you couldn't lay and pray over there there was no way and i think that's why you know those grinding wrestler types never did well first of all i was in a ring yeah. right so it's a little different for as, sure as, as you can attest takedown to. is much more difficult it's based off a of skill for sure to get a takedown in the middle of the ring or, or in the corner as opposed to against the fence right. for sure and the the refs there remember there's no commission there still isn't yeah and so the promotion really can can dictate these things and it's like all right we're taking money away from you and we're standing you up quickly every yeah. damn time 
And so you were forced to adapt to those rules and you had to throw down and be more exciting or, Hey, if you get the takedown, I need, you know, busy. Yeah. And so, yeah, but the crowd was saying. educated. Like you pass the guard and the crowd goes they're crazy. Clapping. Yeah, and they're clapping. Yeah. Like super quiet while you're working, right? Yeah. Working. Okay. Yeah. Working a half, get the pass. And then they're just like clapping. And it was like, uh, they were appreciating it yeah, at the highest levels. And here you're still getting the stand him up, yeah. kick oh, his yeah. ass. And going. Yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> but Hey, it's as, as we've been saying, like where we are today, we're all happy that the sport is oh, where yeah. it's at. And if we still got to deal with that, you need those guys, I guess, because they're the ones buying tickets. That's how, that's how I always felt whenever fans would complain, I I, I would have guys, you know, Oh, that, that card sucked, buddy. You know, guys would come talk shit to me on online. I'm like, Hey, you, you, you bought a ticket, you showed up or you, you watched, you gave us your time. You're entitled to, I don't mind. I just, I'm happy you, you paid attention and you watched and um, we'll make it up to you next time. Yeah, so there were fights. Luke's last card, I, I think it was the Sabatello and uh, um, Higo fight. The crowd was booing the whole time. And it yeah. was boring. Yeah. But they were booing the entire time. Guys were yelling crazy, crazy stuff. And and Luke's like, man, these guys are terrible. The, not the fighters, the, the crowd. He goes, it's terrible. I said, this exact building, I fought Gil Castillo. We were on the ground the entire time. They booed the entire time. The very next fight was Chuck Liddell and Suloff. They stood the whole time, and the crowd booed the yeah. entire time because it wasn't exciting enough. They want you to stand Tough in the crowd. Yeah, they want blood. Yeah, yeah, they want blood. So I was and, like, uh, yeah, it's, it's just you can't make everyone happy. Yeah, they want blood and concussions. But uh, you yeah. know, to this day, still, you know, I can distinguish between the two. Yes, there's an en- there's an entertainment factor, and there's a, I got to do what I got to do, um, and I'm still watching it closely and yeah. appreciating, trying to look at the technique of all these little nuances that I'm sure you can speak to. Sure, the hand fighting, you know, fighting for position, underhooks, and whatnot, and all these little things that I can appreciate as a fan and a, a, a practitioner of the sport. But then I put my promoter hat on, and I'm like, you know, right. this is like we we have to talk about this later. So a good example of this that just happened recently is uh, MVP and Storley. Yeah. And I know Scott wasn't happy with that as well. <laughs> yeah, he was vocal about it. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, if you're Storley, what do you do? Like, you you really can't. He stood with him one round, you know. I think the fourth, it was all in the feet. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, then he, he, and then in the fifth, MVP talked trash to him about taking him down. He's like, I just stood with you for a full <laughs> round. He didn't do anything. But, but really... He, he either goes out there and, and puts on a highlight reel and gets knocked out, you know, or he goes out there and wins the fight. What's more important? Um, and, and fighting here, probably winning the fight is more important. You know, we're not in Japan where as yeah. long as you go out there and fight like a warrior. And, and he, I feel like what, what could he have done differently and, and still won the fight? I think that was his only option. Yeah, like this is a very interesting conversation and topic right now. And I think it's the most important discussion in MMA right now, um, judging, yeah. right? Um, so there's two, that's a fascinating fight for those two reasons. It's it's judging and how the fans perceive who won and also the judging criteria, which I know they're working to improve it, but there's still a lot of ambiguity, right? It's not unified. Right. And that's, that's, that's a whole nother can of worms where across the board, across the country, not everyone is united on, this is how you score a fight and judge a fight. And then also, what's a guy supposed to do with his career? Was Logan just supposed to go out there 
right. throw down, get knocked out by MVP in one round just to satisfy you when now he's an interim champ. His, he gets paid more. You know, his opportunities go up. Like, that's what that's why right. that kid competes. Right. You know, he's a he, he's here to win and compete. And he, he got the job done. And I know he was frustrated after. And you put yourself in his shoes and you can understand why. Like, man, I did what I was supposed to do. This guy's supposed to stop me and he couldn't. What right. was I supposed to do? And and then you got the fans who it's very interesting and, and you see it like every after every show it always comes up, the judging, the judging, what what what's the criteria? What right. you know, if you're trying to knock me out but I keep taking you down and holding you down and you can't stop that and you want that knockout as a fan and that's what you wanna see and you're not getting that because the other guy is just too good of a grappler and a wrestler. Right. You, you're favoring the other guy who's getting taken down because his style fits sure. your preference of what you right. want to watch. But that's not how this works. Right. It, but unfortunately, it kind of is how it works because judging, I was going to ask you what you feel about judging because judging is basically opinion based. <laughs> totally. Right? It's, like, it's, it's three guys' opinions yeah. and your whole career rides in their oh. hands. And yeah. they don't know what goes on, you know, in order to get to that fight, let alone if you lose that fight, where you go. And and we were just talking on, uh, when I was talking to Matt Chanel the other day, there are guys, the two guys with the most wins in UFC history, Donald Cerrone and, and uh, Jim Miller, have never had the belt. Right. Jim Miller, I don't know if he's even fought for the belt. I don't think he but has. But he has the most wins in UFC history. That tells such a story of what goes on below the championship level where it is such a grind, you know, and, and a loss can do so much to you. Yeah. And if it's a, a judge's decision loss that was bad, you know, it cuts your pay in half and it sets you back two, three fights. And so do you think there is, and, and you don't have to go deep into it, but do you think there is there a, a point-based system that could happen, you know, like where you get points for doing this, you don't get points for doing that or whatever, or, or is it always going to have to be based off of what, these three guys think it's yeah it's, it's a great question and i think that's on the table right now um i mean they've looked they you know i talk i would talk to big john about this all the time like yeah. after the fights and there was some controversy you know he's he's one of the pioneers and, and one of the leaders in the sure. industry uh, uh, you know with regulation i know he's taken a step back since he's joined the broadcast side of things but you know he helped create the unified rules and whatnot and he's you know, his, his judging seminars and refereeing seminars were really the standard, right? I would talk to him and, and, and he has his opinion in his way, but then like you said, these other guys think completely differently, right? you know? Um, I do think it, 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 it should be on the table, which you just mentioned points. And it's like, look, if, if you were, if we both have our game plans, you and I step into the cage, I want to knock you out you want to control me and try and submit me or just, you know, we know where you want to take the fight. Right. If you execute your game plan, regardless of how entertaining it is. Right. Did you win? Right. Right. I, I mean, mean, that. I feel like a referee standing up a fighter on the ground, boring or not, and I get that it might be boring, is what if I'm on the feet with you and I can't take you down? Can I ask the ref to put you on the ground for right. me? Right, yeah. that's the exact same thing. That's a great I point. can't take you down because your skills at stopping my takedown are better than mine. But if I take you down, my skills are better than your get-up skills. Right. So I can hold you down. If I can hold you down, you can't get up. It is basically cheating to stand you up. 
yeah. here, here's a chance, buddy. Let me give you a chance and, and stand you up. And that's you know? done for entertainment, really. Oh, 100%. 100%. Right. It's, for, it's for the crowd to, to make everybody happy, for the promotion, you know, for everything like that. But, but at the same time, just because one of the styles is boring to to certain people if they're not busy, you know, and I think they should be busy. You know, like my son's a grappler. It, but he's busy on the ground. Yeah. You know, he's constantly looking for the finish or punching and looking for the finish. But but it really is the same thing. If if I can't take you down, they're not going to help me put you on the ground. Right. But they will help you get up if if you can't get up. So it's like if I've gotten you down and you can't get up, I've got to be winning at that point. You know, yeah. whether they whether they stand us up or not, up to that point, I've I've you know pushed my will on you and yours isn't you know your skill set's yeah. not helping you. Yeah, that's. You know, I, I think we share a very similar view on that. Yeah, it's this is what I wanted to do. I couldn't do it, and the other guy did what he wanted to do. Um, if there's damage, it's a different story. If the guy uh, standing, uh, like if I'm if I'm hurting you bad, and then you're getting takedowns, I right. think I think it's a different story. But I don't think there was a lot of damage done in that that particular fight. Let's keep going back to that example. Oh, MVP okay. Storley. I don't think MVP dropped him. No or really hurt him, like rocked him or so it's, you know, it, it'd be a different story if he was hurting him bad on the feet, right. landing some big shots. Then I can understand where, um, cause we've seen guys, uh, win fights off their back because they did so much damage, right. you know, before a takedown or around a takedown, you know, sure. like, like, uh, they get stood up and then he'd go to work again and hurt him, leg kicks, land a couple combos. He'd get taken down. No damage was done on the ground. They would reward, you know, the the the, the other fighter. Right. So we've seen in this modern era, a guy can win a fight off his back, or even going for sub attempts. Right, being get, busy. Yeah, being getting busy. a bunch of catches, yeah. even though you didn't finish. You know, you had legit just, attempts. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's huge. But yeah, overall, if you're trying to knock me out, you can't. I take you down and control you for three, for five. Um, again, it's not popular. It's not, it's not the most entertaining, but yeah, I, I understand it. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's tough to prepare for, you know, what, who's judging, what are they looking for tonight? You know, that type of thing. Like fighters kind of have to know what, uh, I mean, everyone goes out with their, out there with their game plan, but if you are in a, in a fight, like a title fight for five rounds, you kind of got to know what they're looking for for those five rounds if you if you think you may not put the guy away in those five rounds, you know. Um, and so it is – it would sure be nice if it was something that was more cut and dry. This this is – you get this for this, you get this for this. Um, this doesn't score you much. This does – you know, even if it wasn't an actual number score, if we could just, you know, get a good idea of what, what really mattered to the judges. Yeah. You know, the uh, – there's a – a, a, a app out there um mma verdict i don't know if you've you've, you've heard not. of those guys you should check them out they they do a pretty interesting um thing where they get a lot of fans involved it's a real like um fun app where guys are coming in giving their opinions their thoughts on the scoring and i know we complained a little earlier about ignorant fans but there are a lot of really savvy fans. Oh, sure. And yeah, now there are for sure. Yeah, I think with the level going up. It's a lot of people that train now. Yes, that's right. And so they do know what they're watching. They do appreciate these things. And so if you go on Verdict, it's pretty interesting. And I know they're trying to uh, 
um, help solve this problem that we have. But every time after a controversial decision, you go on Twitter, you go oh, online, yeah. it's like, oh, this thing's a mess. It needs to be overhauled. Um, and yeah, things, things need to change for the reasons that you mentioned. And I speak from experience because I've done these deals where I'm like, man, this, this, winning this fight could change a guy's life. Yep. And to put it in the hands of three people. Um, I mean, we've seen 30-27s one way and 30-27s another. Yeah. Like, th these guys watched two totally different fights just now. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, well, was he only watching one guy? And was this guy only watching the other guy? Or were they watching the actual fight? Right. You know, it's, it's so... Those are confusing when that happens. I'm like, okay, like that had to be on purpose. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 this whole mantra of well, don't leave it in the hands of the judges. It's yeah. like, come on, you know how hard it is to finish. Yeah, you that, know, that guys same at this thing, level that leave it in the hands of judges. The same thing where people go, you actually no, you have to beat the champion. You have to beat the yeah, champion. Yeah, that, like, that, that makes no, no sense. No, it doesn't. You you have to win the rounds, and if you win enough rounds, you win the fight. Yeah, that's you not know? how this thing is scored. Yeah, I don't yeah. have to beat him more than he beats me. If I just <laughs> beat him every round, I win. You know, yeah. or, or two of the three or, or four, three of the five. And, and so, like, no, you have to beat the champion. I was like, that is beating the champion. Like, yeah, you know. that's a funny one. Yeah. yeah, and people don't know how. There's a lot of misconceptions. That's one of them. You got to beat the champ. No, you don't. It's scored round by round. Right. You're not, you're not looking at the fight in its entirety. Uh, the other thing is people think the organizations, at least here in America, like we said earlier in Japan, there's no commission. So... The organizations can kind of dictate those things but here in america the athletic commissions dictate everything right. they control the judges uh, the judges work for them not for the promotion right. so when fans aren't happy you'll see oh bellator the ufc or, or whatever organization it is uh you know they fix that oh yeah they paid the judges oh, i've off. seen that a it's million like times. that's not how it scott works wanted that guy to win i was like scott yeah. had no choice in that guy winning no trust that's me not, <laughs> that's not how it works uh so yeah i think it it it's time for um, our sport to continue to grow, and 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 I think that needs to be addressed, and um, hopefully it, it will be. I know everyone. I know people are starting to pay attention to it now. Yeah, you know um, they and, have and, to, and hopefully sure. we get there. Okay, so back to back to Elite XC. So you're done with with um, Rumble on the Rock. Yeah. So the the, the transition from Rumble to Elite XC was really a great opportunity for us. You know, we have been doing really cool shows in Hawaii. Um, JD called me one day because he was always taking me. You know, the sport was growing around this time um, with, uh, and, 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 and what I mean by that, it was growing as far as um, on the business side. Mm -hmm. You had networks. And people on the on the entertainment side finally starting to see that hey this this blood sport like they were a little nervous right sure. now they were finally realize hey this thing's kind of coming together it's damn exciting it's probably the most exciting sport in the world sure. got some real characters and personalities and you know maybe it's time to really embrace it like it's had time to they've had time to observe it and right. it wasn't like guys were dying after right. every event and right. it, it's safe now and they can finally take it on and start uh, uh, bringing it to the masses, right? So JD called me one day. He goes, "We did it! Like, like we have our our opportunity to go to the mainland and work with a big network now to put, you know, to put the fights on." Someone, what what network bought a handful of organizations? Like, uh, I don't know if Elite XC bought or got bought, but King of the Cage, Elite XC, there was a handful that got yeah. bought all at the same time. So, really, Pro Elite was the parent company. Okay. 
And Pro Elite, what was interesting there, Pro Elite was like this, um, uh, was meant to be like the mice at the time, MySpace. Okay. There's probably what people watching this don't even <laughs> know what that? MySpace is, but at the time, remember MySpace was like oh, yeah. huge. And so these investors saw how crazy uh, this fan base was, this MMA fan base. They were at a, a UFC event, I believe, and they saw these crazy fans and they're like, wow, can you imagine if we created this online community for them? And th that was really like the the motivation behind pro elite they weren't like fight guys that's right. why they brought us in we were the fight guys Got it. but they saw this amazing opportunity to capitalize off this you know the the, the crazy fans that that mma had and so pro elite launches and elite xc is like the main the main promotion the main brand and then they started absorbing all these other ones. Uh, Rumble on the Rock. We were the first right. guys brought in to okay. help kind of put things together, consult and kind of really um, build the foundation for the organization. Uh, but uh, Icon, which was formerly known as Super Bra, got brought on Cage Rage. They were doing great shows. In Europe? In, in, uh, yeah, okay. in um, London. Yeah. Uh, Spirit MC. Spirit MC was an event in Korea that was doing really well. And um, King of the Cage. Right. Yeah. They ended up getting it back somehow, right? Yeah, okay. they ended up getting it back. I think after, um, you know, Terry did a good job of uh, carving out a great deal where he was protected. And so, yeah, he was able to get it back. King of the Cage lives on even today. Yeah. Um, but some of these, those other organizations just never really, you know, they just got tied up in that whole thing and never really came back. You know, guys had to come back and rebrand and relaunch. But, you know, that was the, the idea was to create a global fighting network. Um, that would kind of feed into Elite XC. Okay. And we put it into practice. Uh, there was a couple great success stories there, a couple moments where that idea really came together. And there were other times where it, you know, you saw the holes in it and you saw why it was going to be really difficult. But it was a, that was our big jump to go from, we were doing big shows in Hawaii, working with all the top guys still, but now we're on TV. Uh, we were on Showtime. Right. We helped launch MMA on Showtime on premium cable. And then we eventually helped launch MMA on uh, network cable with the CBS fights with Kimbo and Gina. I was going to say that's that. where Kimbo and Gina were started in Elite XC or that's where they first started being on TV? Yeah, that's where uh, they, they uh, Kimbo, I believe his first fight was against Ray Mercer. Oh, okay. His first, uh, well, we've seen him fight right. in the backyards, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, but then his first sanctioned fight, I believe, was against Ray Mercer, like in Jersey. Okay. And then um, then we, we, we um, brought him on board. Gina had fought I think her first MMA fight was with Scott and Strikeforce, and then then we, we brought her on to. Uh, so Strikeforce was already there at that time. Yeah, Strikeforce okay. had just made the transition. Scott had just transitioned from being kickboxing for like twenty years or so. Okay. Started getting into MMA as he he was the first uh, promoter to throw um, a sanctioned fight in California. Okay. And that night it was it was I think to this day might be the the largest crowd ever like it just set all these records i think that still stand today but there was a line around the corner i remember we had friends calling us from san jose like holy shit it's fucking crazy like yeah. like the line to get in and we're waiting and, that was and so force. Yeah. yeah so was that scott was doing his thing over there we ended up working with scott later and, and i'll get into that when i talk about the transition into strike force but yeah we're we're at elite xc doing our thing we got the big opportunity launched on showtime launched on um cbs uh you know kimbo gina they were the the big draws and very controversial because you had a lot of fighters saying well they're not that great right um but what they didn't realize was 
they were kind of the hook for the mass audience. Gene right. was good, man. She was tough. Gene was a legit martial artist. Kimbo's fighting spirit. Right. He may not have been the most technical guy, but right. he, come on, he fought <laughs> yeah. and gave everything he had, and he, he did. And, and and you left, you know, seeing something crazy. Yeah. Win or lose, Kimbo was just and if you lost, must watch. If you fought him, even if you won, you left with a headache. Yeah, <laughs> was, he was must watch TV, and so yeah. there was a lot of controversy around the late XC, you know. Uh, um, building so heavily around them but that was the hook that was what got casual fans to pay attention and then you saw all the other guys that were perhaps a little more well-rounded um and we had a great roster oh yeah elite xc and that's what that's if if there's one thing that i'm bummed at it's that people oftentimes focus too much on the spectacle and not necessarily like everyone wants to talk about the petrozelli fight but no one talks about all the great fighters that we did have and underneath all that, that we right. were building up, you know. And those fights that they talked about, or the people they talked about, those are the ones that got them watching in the first place to be able to talk about it. I know, <laughs> you know I know, yeah, that, that, that's exactly it. So, you know, uh, a very interesting time, controversial time. I personally learned a hell of a lot. Did Fedor fought in Elite XC? No, no? Fedor did, fought in um, Strike Force. Okay, who did he, who did, when did he fight Arlovsky? That was actually Affliction. Affliction. I was going to ask you, yeah. did that have anything to do with any of those or was it just separate on its own? We actually did a... Um, I would, it wasn't a co-promotion, but there was cooperation okay. with Affliction Fighters. while we were at Elite XC. And it was actually around that the, the fight where Kim, the Kimbo Petrozelli fight. Uh-huh. Remember, Kimbo was originally supposed to fight Ken, Ken Shamrock. Right. On that card, uh, we worked with Affliction to book um roy versus andre okay arlovsky mm-hmm. and we also did you know a deal where affliction was all over you know the canvas and all the all the, the those assets and, and on and, and on the broadcast but so it wasn't a co-pro so to speak but it was uh there was some level of cooperation where cool. where we booked that fight okay so from elite xc as that kind of went its own way you ended up meeting scott i actually had met scott when I was at the uh, Rumble on the Rock. So oh, Scott, all the way back then. Yeah, it's just this crazy, you know, kind of like you and I, these these moments where you meet somebody and, and you, you don't think, you know, years later, right. you know, you get connected and you start doing some work together. So I had met Scott when we were doing the shows in Hawaii. He was doing K1 Vegas. He was the okay. K1 guy doing oh, okay. shows at the Battle at the Bellagio and, I went to them. and yeah and he was doing Strike Force in San Jose saw Kimo and, and uh, Bob Sapp fight there yeah <laughs> Man, they had some crazy ones over there right and uh, and so I meet him in Hawaii he's there because we partner with with K1 okay. uh, Rumble on the Rock did we did right, co- that. Co- co-pros with, with K1 and so he came as a guest and, and we met and um, just had this feeling like yeah I'll see you around you know so, so years later I see him at Elite XC and what's what's funny is Elite XC and Strike Force actually did co-pros around Frank. Frank versus um, Phil Baroni, which was a really big fight. Okay. Was a co-promotion. And I believe we did Kung versus Frank, which is another amazing yeah, fight. that fight was crazy. So we, we did these co-promotions around Frank. And what's funny is the backstory behind that is there was a lawsuit there. Oh. So this lawsuit... The settlement was Elite XC and Strikeforce needed to co-promote and work together. That was the resolution. Okay. 
So here I am seeing Scott again years later, like, right. hey, Scott. He's like, man, Rich, what the hell's going on? <laughs> you know, you guys did this, you guys did that. And then, but we were always cool right. throughout this chaos. He always knew it wasn't me. There was always this respect. And so Elite XC ends, right? Kind of a disaster, you know, it, down in flames. Right. And, and uh, as I said earlier, I, I learned at that moment, I see a lot of people doing different things to position themselves, <laughs> yeah. throwing people under the bus, uh, um, you know, doing a self-preservation mode, right. right? It can be, it can get ugly. And I just thought to myself, that just doesn't feel right to me. I'm just going to sit here, take it all, weather the storm. I'm not going to talk shit about anyone. I'm, I'm not going to say anything about what happened. I'm just going to wait and see what happens. I'm going to sit here, just deal with it. I'm bummed, but I'm just going to, just 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 handle it just take it like a man so right. to speak and so i'm doing that trying to figure out what's next i end up doing a bunch of stuff with bj bj had some really big fights this was when he was in his prime on that big run at lightweight right so i just got involved with his camps and and jd you know we just got back to to doing all that together which was great and then i get a call from scott out of the blue like hey um I didn't want to hire anybody from Elite XC because that was just a dumpster fire. And it right. just was just, you know, I'd rather just have it just be clean. But, man, these people at Showtime really like you. And the fighters that are here that made the transition, they keep saying, hey, can you bring him back? Or if there's a guy that you could bring from Elite XC, he'd be great to help with you with this transition. And he goes, I like you, but I, I was a little nervous about this whole thing. But you know what? let's have this conversation. What, what, what would it take? What would it look like um, for us to work together? And then we, uh, and, and this is a, a great expression from him. Let's, let's date before we get married, <laughs> come out and work a couple shows before, you know, I offer you a deal and you move out, out here. I was, cause I was still living in Hawaii at the time. Okay. So went out, worked a couple shows, uh, got a chance to meet the staff, everything worked out. And then he, he offered me a, you know, the job, um, like after two events okay. as like a consultant made the big move up to San Jose. So that's kind of how I transitioned from Elite awesome. XC to uh, Strikeforce. Strikeforce is my favorite. It was fun. Strikeforce and WC, if you think back, those, those two events at the time were like college football, you know, to NFL. Ah, like one. These guys were fighting for their lives. They wanted to be here. But in my opinion, like that was the pinnacle at the time. I, I, the UFC is UFC, you know, it's whatever. But but those events put on some of the greatest fights of all time. Between those two, you know, Uriah Faber and those guys were fighting in, in the WC. Um, all of the killers. Like if you if you look back at the the fights that took place in the Strike Force, and and who fought there, it's like you know it was amazing at the time. The who's who of everybody fought in in that uh, organization, and I knew you, which was cool. Like just jump forward real quick, Scott. You you know Showtime. Everything was the same on Strike Force as it became when when Lucas joined Bellator. So I was like, oh, this is a, a win-win. Like this is awesome, you know. But but yeah, back then, like Strike Force was, it was kind of the the first organization that wasn't the UFC that was right here. Yeah, you know, it was a, a big organization, great fighters, great fights. Uh, you know, uh, on TV all the time. I still watch Strike Force on TV all the time. Like it comes on all the That's time. I like, never won't watch those fights. Yeah, you know, um, I think I think what Scott was 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 able to do was bring guys in 
um, that the UFC couldn't get. I think that was that was another thing because he just was always willing to get creative and look. Obviously, the UFC uh, is an amazing organization. They do things their way. It's worked for them. You know, I'm not questioning their practices by any means. They're they're you know, um, we're not here without them. Right. right? Sure. That's, that's I think that's that's safe to say. But I think what Scott was able to do was be more flexible and, and do deals a certain way to bring Fedor over to bring Shinya Aoki over, right. to bring Musashi over and get creative and do things a certain way. Yeah. And um, to me, that was that was a lot of fun where we were always in a position to um, work with those guys. And, and he was always able to bring guys over that, that you know, weren't able to come to America for, for various reasons. And it was a hell of a run, you know. And, and even just, you know, outside of those guys, just the guys we had here or there on the roster, you know, there were some events that, yeah, they were just... It was just a lot of fun. It was just different. It felt like we were a part of something that was growing quickly, and um, and and we were on a roll, man. It was like this oh, yeah. eighteen month just run. We were hot for like yeah. eighteen months, and then the UFC came in and, and stopped all that. I was so but. bummed when that happened. Like that was such a that was as bad as Pride for me. Um, and I never got to fight for WC or or Strikeforce, and I fought for a lot of organizations, but I never got to fight for either of them. And uh, mm-hmm. when that happened, I was just like. Because uh, you know they're not going to keep it, you know they're not going to keep it and and continue to let it build and be an, another awesome organization. They're going to crush it. They're going to take the fighters that they want, and and that's the end of it. And and that's such a bummer when that happens. I know it happens with businesses and stuff all the time, but for there there's not a a ton of other good organizations. So when it happened, it's obviously a no brainer, I guess, for the person who who owns it, who who's yeah. going to you know sell it and make the money off of it. But at the same time, it's like, man, you know, I feel like uh, it could have grown to where whoever it was at the time could have made that money down the line. I don't know. But maybe it's just selfish because I enjoyed watching the fights and I I just like the vibe. I like the vibe. It's it's the Bellator vibe. I I would. That's why we're fighting for Bellator. You know, I I love the vibe compared to I fought for the UFC. You know, I've been to the UFC multiple times with, with my guys. I just prefer um the it's just a way better vibe and and i love it different culture i think you nailed it right there you know we try to establish it um make it fun uh it was the fun organization you know it wasn't uh at that time there were no rankings it wasn't like fights were made because scott you know the his background going back to him being a k1 guy and his his the, the 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 mindset and kind of the way he did business was was very that japanese style and the reasons why we loved Pride and K1, right. you know, he that was in him, and that's how he tried to, you know, uh, run Strike Force, and that's how he kind of guided me and said, "This is what I'm looking for, and this is what I'd like you to work on, and these are the type of guys, and you know, let's let's do it this way." And yeah, it was it was very uh, uh, d- distinctly his style, right? right? And I think you know, it just it was fun. It it really. Um, allowed us to do things a little differently and we were a great alternative um, i was devastated you know when it ended because here i am i got here because elite xc folded and here i am again oh my god right is what is going on i'm dealing with this again and you know uh, a few years later and even now today i can look back on it it was very bittersweet because the opportunity ended but the ufc buying strike force and then subsequently the success a lot of those guys had sure in the ufc really validated the work we did there you know our whole team the whole company everything we did when those guys became world champions from t wood 
to Rockhold, to, to DC, amongst other guys yeah, going over there and girls guys. doing doing great, helping launch women's MMA in um, in the UFC because Ronda, right. you know, went over and helped usher that in along with Misha and these other strike force fighters. Like that, really, in a sense, validated a, a lot of the work we did. It was at the sure. expense of our our careers there. everything your livelihood but you know i can look back on it now fortunately i was able to to, to land on my feet um, after another traumatic experience in this crazy sport and business but you know we look back on it now and that's all relevant even to this day because of the conversations again what's the other conversation on the forefront of the sport um that guy can't be the best because he's not in the ufc that's not true 100 strike force proved that time and time again however a lot of people don't want to remember that or don't right. want to accept that but right. yes guys the best fighters in the world can be in any organization 100 i don't i don't necessarily look at where they where they fight i kind of look at who they train with to me is more relevant right for that but i digress sorry um but <laughs> strike force proved that the best fighters in the world can can be somewhere else yeah i mean you can't think that it's a big population of fighters now. You can't think that every single one of the very best guys are there already. You know, right. there's guys fighting. You know, there, there's there's guys that are going to surprise. You know, the people who are the champs now. And and I agree. It's it's. Uh, I get in this argument often yeah. <laughs> about about the UFC. The UFC is the name. It's the it's the you know it's the first. You know, so it's the one that everyone talks about. They're the ones that got big first. So everyone always wants to know. You know. But at the same time, man, it's uh, it's cutthroat, the UFC. Like you're there, they don't even know who you are. You lose two fights, you're gone. Yep. You know, and it's just a, it's a random or a vicious cycle. And going back again to like the Jim Miller's got the most fights in UFC history. Yeah, never fought the belt, you know, and and Cerrone's never won the belt. And so I I always you know go back to like josh thompson and gilbert melendez fights in in strike force yeah you know they were they were like the michael chandler eddie alvarez fights in bellator yep. like the fights are just insane and and just i mean to watch those guys uh put on those shows those those happen all the time like strike force fights were were amazing all the time so yeah when it when it uh got bought you know everyone knew that it wasn't going to continue to be strike force. I mean, I guess you guys probably knew more than anybody else, but no one had the full insight on everything yet. So it was like, so what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Nothing. We're just going to take the fighters, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We knew where it was headed. I mean, uh, who was the owner? Was Scott in the same position there as he was as, as in Bellator? Uh, so Scott owned strike force and he was partners with the guys at the arena. Okay. That owned, owned the arena and, uh, the uh, San Jose Sharks, like okay. manage. You Got know, it. The, yeah, that was their whole thing, and so those were his partners. Okay. And uh, and then, you know, the whole transition into Bellator from there, you know, happened like a, a few years later. Because, yeah. How much time was between the end of Strikeforce and the beginning of Bellator? Well, it was Scott's non-compete, right? So they 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 oh, you yeah. know he had to uh, sit on the sidelines for a little bit, so to speak. And when that came up, I remember he um, gave me a call. So I was uh, in between. Um, I was working at Ruka. Okay. I went back. Pat Tenore, a very, very close friend of mine. Um, in California? Yeah. Okay. In, um, so I, I moved to OC and um, I was in Costa Mesa working at Ruka, um, uh, focusing still around MMA, still heavily involved in the gym and really just helping him um, develop the, 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 the sport program. 
um, over there. And that was an amazing experience. I was, I was still, even though I was out of the fight, you know, the um, promotional game, I was still around in the gym in the back there with Jason Perillo all the time, uh, Bisbing, you know, uh, uh, several guys, you know, BJ was still coming. Just that, that place is so amazing. Tito coming in all the time. So still around the game, still around really great world-class fighters and athletes. Sure. And, and, and so I was still sharp, so to speak, when Scott called. Right. A couple years later and was like hey (laughs) man you're 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 not gonna believe this but because i always thought he would do his own thing Uh that's kind of what he led me to believe when because we stayed in touch and he's like hey maybe i'll just do my own thing when i can and so he calls me when he goes man you're not gonna believe this and tell me what you think but um bellator man what do you think and you know bjorn was there still and i'm like wow i don't didn't see this coming but Look, I think if if we if if we give it our best go and you know we get the band back together, man, we can wherever new thing would obviously take longer, it'd be a little more challenging with all the right. growing pains and startup life. But you know, uh, looking at their roster, he's like, you know, just just check out Bellator a little more. Tell me what you think. And I go, look, there's some good guys over there. And how long had Bellator been a thing? Oh, for years, because Bellator was around when Strikeforce, when we were at Strikeforce. They were, huh? Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, Bellator had been around doing their thing. They were um, all about the uh, tournaments, right? The mm-hmm. toughest tournament in sports. Right. And, oh, right, and right, were, right. But I believe they started like on MTV too. And, you know, so I was paying attention to what was going on there. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, he just, I get the call and he goes, yeah, you, you feel like getting back in the game. And so my fiance at the time was pregnant up in the Bay Area. It was like everything lined up. I, I felt like I had to move back up there to be with her. So Scott was like, hey, come back up. Um, I spoke to Pat. He was fully supportive of, of this move. You know, he's like, you can't go for it, man. You know, we'll always work on stuff together and we'll always be close. So I left Ruka, got back in the fight game with Scott, and moved back up to, to the Bay Area and, you know, and then did that for, you know, six years and we got Luke in. And, but that was, that, was the, that was the transition. That was how that all happened him and bjorn weren't there at the same time no right? they, no, they swapped no right then no it was uh you know the ownership the management group did what they had to do and to, to clear the way for scott and the new team to come in and you know that was my you know my crazy path in this business continued right like right. you know get get over here get your dream opportunity crash and burn you know get your dream opportunity again and doesn't work out and then here we go again right and uh you know fortunately this time i was able to although i'm not there anymore i'm still very close with everybody at least i was able to transition on my own terms this time right so i think that happens because like if you think of other sports um who who knows what it was like when it started but even though this is only a 20 what 30 30 years maybe old sport in the united states uh all of these other organizations are basically other teams, right? Mm-hmm. So right now, if something happened to you on the the whatever Dallas Cowboys, you know, you go to, to Phoenix and play for the the Cardinals or whatever yeah, yeah, the football yeah. team is it? You know, it's like that here. It, it, the sport, it's not like that. Like one organization, yeah. there's one Dallas Cowboys, you know, and then everybody else was was trying to create teams, and and it takes it takes a while before others can be you know, uh, legit and stay and, and, and be sustainable. And so it's, it's like you were involved in some great companies, but it's just so 
even though it seemed like a long time, it's so early still in the sport. It's, mm-hmm. it's not a very old sport. And so it, uh, it unstable, I guess, you know. Oh, volatility. Yeah. It's not for the faint of heart. Um, sure. Great example there you said earlier about, you know, if, if you're playing football, if you're a quarterback, whatever, you're, you're just a, you're a football player. There are 32 teams. Right. 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 You got options. Sure. And the, the tricky part of, about the MMA business, especially in the role I was in, you know, matchmaker, talent, relations, however you want to describe it, there's like five of those jobs in the world, right. you know, with like real legit major organizations where you can make, you know, good money and, and work with world-class fighters and do it at a high level. And so there's just not that many people that can do this. And a lot of people want to do it, but there's only a handful of jobs. So yes, right. that's what makes this thing you know this entire industry you know just uh, the, the 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 volatility so when people ask me i get these kids that want to hey man i want to be in the fight game and I just go well buckle up buddy because yeah. <laughs> this ain't for the faint of heart man you 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 got to be able to withstand a lot of pressure and the ups and downs and the just how you know just crazy you know this this business is you say there's only there's only so many and and it's so true if you even think about the ufc Joe Silva was the only guy yep. for years and years and years. And just now in the last, what, five years maybe, they've got two guys. You know, they've got Mick and, and uh, Sean Shelby. Yep. And there was, I forget who it was before uh, Mick got over there, but it was, uh, you know, it's very, that's, that's for how many hundreds of fighters they have. There's one job there and that's it, you know. In Bellator, one job, you know, and, and that takes away, you know, there can only be what five matchmakers in the world. That's it. That's yeah, all you get. really. That, that's that, and you know, that's wild. That's uh, something that I always, you know, appreciated and kept me humble and just kept me working hard and kept me going. Was man, you know how many people want to do this? Yeah, oh, and would yeah. probably do it for free or a quarter of the money or half the money. Right? There's a line out the door for guys that that want to uh, um, get involved in the game and 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 do it all so um, I was always aware of that and I think that's just is what kept me you know working hard like man this is a rare opportunity don't don't blow it right so aside from knowing everybody right and just knowing tons of people what is your like how many fights have you watched like how do you as far as matchmaking goes what do you do to matchmake are you are you watching tons of videos of fighters like how are you finding out you know, how do you approach your, your job as a matchmaker in any of these organizations? You know, I, it's obviously difficult. There's thousands and thousands of fighters. So h- how difficult is that? You know, it it, it is tricky. Um, I'll say that, uh, you know, there's two sides to it, right? There's the, 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 the business side, getting a deal done, uh, you know, dealing with, with the fighter, that's to me i i've always said the easier part is is matching a fighter dealing with the fighter behind the scenes and all the business and all the you know the talent relations as we call it that was the real job right you know making sure a guy did what he was supposed to do to get there to fight night you know saying you know uh this guy fight that guy you know sometimes these fights just make themselves right, right. let's face it right especially at at, at the once they're in the organization for sure yeah. I, I can see it's, it's a little bit easier at that point yeah but to get them the hardest part is, I think, you know, uh, it's fun to recruit new talent. The hardest part for, for us because of the way we operated, you know, we do have developmental deals like what we brought Luke in on. That's the hardest part yeah. is taking a guy um, or girl, taking a fighter 
from the beginning, starting their their pro career and making sure that you put the right challenges in front of them for their growth and, and you don't put them in over their head um, too early and like just send them down a path that they just kind of can't recover from. Right. Um, and there's a bunch of relevant examples that sure. we can talk about. I mean, um, obviously the, the work you and I did prior to me leaving, making sure Luke got the right fights, um, that's the hard part. It's it's easy once, like you said, once they get to a contender status, you know, right. hey, everyone's fighting everybody. Right. You know, there's no, like, you you, you, you kind of know Whoever's the deal. Whoever's available next is going to yeah. line up next. Yeah, you kind of know the deal, right? This is, you know, this is the deep end. Right. And, uh, but, but early on, it's so important for a fighter's development. Um, and the developmental program was just the hardest thing, the most rewarding thing, and the most fascinating thing to see a fighter grow and develop. I mean, obviously the poster child, you and I would talk about it. AJ, AJ yeah. pro debut, world champ, you know, what a night. I remember going in the back and talking to Tone about it. You know, he's hoisting a million dollar check, holding two belts. And it's like, man, this is like the pinnacle of the oh. of the developmental program. Anything after that is irrelevant. <laughs> it is, he literally did exactly what he and you and his father set out to do we're going to debut with Bellator or we're going to fight to the championship. And yeah. then he won the championship, right? It's a Cinderella story. Like, couldn't just fight there, get there, and, and then not win that one fight that was for the belt. He went all the way through and won the belt, you know, and, and handily that night. And so, you know, that's uh, inspirational on our end just because yep. that's basically, I mean, when I reached out to you and we first started talking, I was like, I basically want to do what, the same exact path yeah. that AJ took, you yeah. know, and, and I had spoken to Romy Aram who I'd known Romy for years. And, uh, it was before me and you actually talked or we had talked, but not nothing. He hadn't fought yet. And I'd said, you know, what's the, what's the layout there, you know, whatever. And he said, man, he goes, to be honest, he goes, tell me you want to do exactly what AJ McKee did. Yeah. He goes, that's the path. Yeah. And, and so I kind of looked back at AJ's, all of his stuff and I was like, Oh, that is the, the path. Yeah. You know? And, and that's, uh, and look at him now, like the growth he had from fight one to now is like, could he have beat Pitbull then? No, but he built into the guy that could, right? you know, and, and by, by fighting the way he did against the guys that he did who improved as he improved. And um, yeah, it's just been, uh, that's something that is definitely uh, pretty awesome. And, and for us, it was, like I said, when that happened, it was like, okay, yeah, yeah he he set the standard. Yeah, and there's a few other guys who have only fought in Bellator, right? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen if like Aaron Pico was Pico. One. Yeah, Pico's a, another guy that Pitbull I was, didn't have a lot of fights outside of Bellator before either, right? Just a, a couple. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but as far as pure homegrown, there are a couple guys. Um, you know, Pico's been doing his thing, and it goes back to kind of the the tougher fights. You know, suffering setbacks early on. It, it could have gone like. I've seen a lot of guys with amazing talent, uh, as I'm sure you have as well, that just just didn't weren't able to put it together in time or you know at the right moments. And yeah. and you thought, man, I thought that was a sure thing. I thought yeah. this fighter was was, was going to be a champ, and they fought a few times and it just didn't work out. Um, you know, Pico bounced back, made made the adjustments he needed to make to and got what he needed, and he's back on track. And I'm a fan of his yeah. for that more than anything else. Sure, because what a rough start. Um, with such a buildup, and then to to go the way it did, and then whoop, he's right back and, and like reset. 
yeah. he reset and was, was able to keep his his head together and and doing it now uh the way he's doing it i, I was like that was impressive you know yeah. you gotta you gotta admire that for sure all that pressure yeah i remember i, I knew him when he was uh I knew of him, I should say, when he was like in high school. You know, yeah. he was like the Kobe, LeBron. Yeah. You know that that phenom that was gonna go. You know, um, you know. I mean, he was placing at the Olympic trials yeah. in wrestling when he was in high school. Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember asking somebody like, "Oh, how how do you do at states?" They're like, "Oh, he doesn't wrestle states. Yeah. He's in Europe wrestling grown men in the World Championships and whatnot." I'm like, "Oh my God!" So. Yeah. Yeah, Aaron's a guy who uh, started his career in Bellator, among several others. I mean, there, there's uh, a few other guys in uh, different uh, weight classes that, that started in the developmental program, but but that is the hardest thing to do because, okay, let, let's switch gears and say, all right, big name free agents that came in. And you, they're ready to go against anybody. Right. It's it's not like, it, it's not that difficult. Right. You know, I never, I, I don't think as a team, we sat back and said like, you know, we were happy whenever the fight was exciting or you know, something, you know, relevant happened that impacted the MMA world and, and the company in a good way. But, you know, so-and-so, you know, two high-level guys fight each other. It's not, you know, like we said earlier, when you reach a certain, you know, a, a certain level and you become a contender and now there's rankings in Bellator, right. you know, those things just kind of take care of themselves. The hardest part, the biggest challenge is making sure guys that have talent, that have ability, that can be stars that they get there to that level because they're kind of in your hands and then sure and, and of course it has to be a, a mutual thing that's where all this cooperation comes that's where you develop these great relationships like like um working very closely with you like hey what do you think of of you know what's next uh, how's he doing how's how's the hands coming along things like that same conversations we were having you know with with all the other guys in this program right. and uh, making sure they they achieve their potential right you know sure. hey sometimes it doesn't work out like i said you know, we, we set the appropriate challenge up for them and they, they didn't pass the test. And, you know, that's just, you know, that's yeah. the sport. But the ones that do and continue to grow and get better and then when they reach that A.J. McKee level and, you know, I think Luke has that ability. I think Aaron has that ability. Ironically, they're on the same weight division. Yeah. But, um, you know, Ty <laughs> yeah, Tyrell Fortune was another guy at heavyweight now that I'm starting to – you know, think of of of, of um, other names, and you know, and those you know, uh, several others. Um, you know, it's a it's a good program. It's something that we do that the other organizations don't really do. Mm -hmm. And I always took pride in that. I always, you yeah. know, um, uh, embrace that. Like, you know, to go into the UFC, you have to be UFC ready. Right. 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 And so you didn't do the the developing. You know, we're doing the the. Uh, all of that we're sure. de developing them and, and putting them through the program and we're also you know so we were like regional show slash big show like and and that's where we would um uh i would wear different hats and the team we would have to transition from like what are the needs of this fight card i know earlier you asked matchmaking the right. process your outlook i think where we were different was i mean you know we it's no secret bellator had consignment fights Right. right with like the the young local talent that would sell tickets in these markets and it would give us a chance to look at them and evaluate the local guys give them a shot so to speak so if you're like matching at that level for those needs sure. you're matching a, a contender for you know some excuse me you're matching someone on the um uh developmental program to make sure they're developing you're matching to develop the next contender and then you've got like maybe a world title fight on top of that so every fight 
like yeah there's 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 something that you want to see out of it there's an outcome that's going to affect the roster and the company and you're kind of um it's not just randomly let's just throw fights together right. there's always a rhyme or reason and i know there's times where fans would be like why the hell did they make that fight right i'm like can't tell you <laughs> but trust me behind the scenes it makes all the sense in the world and it's something that was necessary yeah oh yeah even luke's first fight wasn't a contracted fight you know it was a oh he's young let's let's see him you know let's see him fight and and we didn't sign anything until after that fight um well i had to like yeah of course challenge you <laughs> like man chris has been bugging me i go way back with chris oh, i like I was chris so a lot stoked when he's I, been when bugging me for a while it was the matchmaker yeah. and everything there i was like man this would be uh i just wanted to line up for him correctly and, and to be honest we planned on having one more amateur fight um and he won his fight in vegas at tough enough and i talked to you and he fought on the f card five weeks later um in bellator here at the windstar and so it was like oh well we're just gonna skip that last amateur one and jump right in here but you know there there are a lot of guys you were talking about there's other guys jalen bates yeah you know, there's another small guy that i dig watching him fight um jornel lugo yep. love watching that guy fight and and they're the the weight class below but they're i believe they started their fights in bellator as well yeah yeah both homegrown uh, guys fun um, fun to watch but yeah that level you watch them everyone improves quickly you know they improve quickly and and watching lucas from his first fight to now is it's pretty crazy you know and and uh i was listening to josh thompson talk the other day and he's talking about uh i want to see him strike more i want to see this i want to see this and then his next podcast he's talking to john and he's saying yeah there's times where i i don't remember what i'm talking about because of how many times i got punched in the head I'm like <laughs> and here you are telling me you want to see my kids strike yeah. more like I, I mean you know it's crazy because of course you want to see it but at the same time every fight that he's had that he's not had to use striking he's gotten that much better by the next one you know yeah. so by the time it comes out there and, he, and he's ready to go he's gonna be equal everywhere you know instead of you know catching up right and, and this and this so, very conversation we would we would be having this conversation like the same conversation we're having uh i i basically could still be the uh, matchmaker over there and it's the same conversation we're, we're we're looking into his development of hey how are the hands coming along we already right. know he's a, a very advanced um, grappler but how are the hands coming along not that i want to see you knock somebody out in your next fight right you don't have to prove that to us but obviously you know that this is the the ar arguably the deepest division oh yeah in in not only in um in Bellator, but almost in all of MMA, like one could say Volk is like the pound for pound number one guy in the world. And yeah, they're talking he about sits, it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'd love to see him and Pitbull fight, right? But, but yeah, 45 in Bellator where you're trying to climb the ladder, all these, yeah. these guys can do everything. So yeah. you, you need to, you can't be one dimensional. Sure. So yeah, we'd have sure. the same conversation if it was back to that, you know, yeah. relationship. And talking about like the guys at that level that you know what the next fight is and you don't go, if you let's say hypothetically we get to number four three two and decide to move to 55 you don't go to number 10 you're right. one of the top guys and you're going to stay one yeah. of the top guys that you know once you're there you're there and and this when when luke and i were talking about his next fight and and the you know moving to better 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 bryce mitchell fought edson barboza and he beat him and i said after you beat Edson Barboza, everybody after that is Edson Barboza. You don't yeah. get anybody. You don't go backwards again, right? So yeah. once you take that jump, you're in the deep end, and yeah. that's it. There's you become no, a victim no of your own success. Out. They pull the ladder away, and, yeah. and that's it. You're, you're going. So 
it's uh it is important to to uh have somebody you know to not say yes i'll fight pat Milicic on my fourth fight you know so to someone that'll you know guide you a little bit like that and and not only me that way but you guys doing the same thing on your end so it's been like i said phenomenal i would say the thing that you you possess and they're very they're, they're just they're such unique situations and it's coincidental that Perhaps it's coincidental that, you know, you and Antonio are both, they're your, your kids. Right. Again, like what I said earlier, they've grown up on the mats yep. with you guys, and that's why they're so damn good, and it's amazing. But there's this level of patience that's there um, that you guys have, that Antonio had with, with, with AJ, that you have with Luke, and, and there's a few other examples as well. But, but you guys are doing it the right way. And a lot of guys are not patient because they, they, they want to make the money or they need to make the money. Right. You know, like, hey, I live in a really expensive, uh, you know, city and, and I, I got bills to pay and I can't do it this slow developmental way. I need to fast track this thing for various reasons. And that's where things like you got to be really damn good to be able to do that. Well, yeah. Otherwise, they find out real quick why there is a developmental side. Of right. Things. And like you said, it's very difficult to go back. Right. So that's why we always caution people like. The early days should be, you know, the priority should just be um, uh, staying busy and, and taking the right fights. Yeah. And again, I get not everybody, if some guy starts off later, but he's a top prospect and he's got a family already, you know, he, I need to make the money now though, Rich. I can't, I can't just, you know, I, I need to fast track this thing. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, I get it, but it's not going to be good for your, yeah. your your growth and development. Like you, this is a, a a very difficult tricky game yeah oh and, yeah and, and you need that experience if you want that money and you go for it right away and fail you might get one more chance and fail again then you're you're not making that that's anymore. it anymore and then outside. you're on the outside looking in wondering what the hell happened it happened yeah. so quick and 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 i think the other the, the the other thing that's really um you know something to 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 take note of is just yeah like when you're in that situation um where these early fights you you have a ton of success you're smoking guys, whether you're knocking them out quickly, you're tapping them quickly. And when you're first, and, and, and you never were tested, right? So let's say you get to seven or eight no, and you just 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 crushed guys, first round finishes, right. maybe a you know, second round. And then you finally encounter that, that fighter that is there to win and isn't just rolling over. Yep. I've seen it so many times, right? You see them struggle oh, yeah. that, that night. Like, oh, yeah. F fuck this guy's not not going away not going away and then you're in the third round and you've never been in the third round in your life right in your whole career yeah. and so you're tired you're freaking out like it it, it all starts falling apart yep. and it starts getting ugly and you see the desperation you see the panic and that's where i'm like you know sometimes suffering those setbacks a little early on getting tested a little early on you know hey i I should have finished this guy sooner, but but you went the distance. That's okay. I always tell the guys oh, that's yeah. fine. More time in there, for sure, the better. Because sure. I've seen it far too often. You know, there's a guy. Um, I think he has like two of the quickest knockouts in the history of um, of uh, of the organization. He's not on the roster anymore. Yeah. You know, because not everybody walked right into that right hand. Yeah. And right. when they didn't. And they knew, you know, they knew they had more skills and, and, and had more fighting experience. And, that, that, you know, you have to deal with all that. It's a different game. And so, 
you know, you think the, the, that everyone's just, it's all going to be that easy. Like, yeah. you really got to be tested. You really got to through those fights. You got to have those ugly nights. You know, th there'll be times, hey, man, we weren't happy with that. I'm like, it's all good. Yeah, you need it. You got the rounds in. That's the most important thing. Even Not when, the quick finish. For sure. Even when he went the distance with Andrew Salas, even though he's on the dominant side of all three rounds, I was happy that it went the three rounds. You know, he'd get that experience in. His first amateur fight, he finished the guy at the very end of the third round. Um, and, 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 you know, got some time in and even this last fight when he choked the guy, I was like, all right, it's over. <laughs> I was like, at the same time, I don't, you know, dad had a side. I want to see a little bit of adversity. I want to see him get through yeah. it. You know, I want to see him, you know, um, fight through something because there is a gap, uh, of, from now to those guys, those, those, those good guys. And I believe he has some of the skills that those guys have, and that's what's making these guys look bad. And so I want to find the in-between where there's a challenge, you know, the n not just like he may punch me and knock me out, that challenge, but, like, there's going to be you stuff get put in a bad There's going to be put on your back. Yeah. There's going to be, you know, they put your back to the Maybe fence. Maybe you lose a round. Yes. Maybe yes. it's 1-1. Yes. It's going into the third and you really got to go out and yeah and that was why it. i went like i said we went up to glory and trained because i wanted him to lose a round and win the next round let me see you win a round after you lost one you yeah. know and that's a big thing that's a, it's important to be able to do and and so if it hasn't happened in the cage it would need to at least be you know making it happen in the gym you know so that when it does happen it's not shock right oh my god you know right. and then just go that way right and that's the trickiest part yeah. even for a coach right is oh, yeah. these early days like your vets you know you know hey let's just do what we do right just right. another day at the office but at this level and going back to how this all started that's that was the most challenging but also the most rewarding part was matching these guys from day one having yep. a homegrown guy in the organization i think that's what made made bellator unique still does to this day because the program's still still thriving but um yeah i I took more pride in that than I did, you know, big name guys, top contenders fighting each other because those fights kind of came together on their yeah, own anyway. Easier to put together. Um, what do you think is the toughest, toughest thing to deal with? Toughest part of, of matchmaking or dealing with fighters, managers, fighters, parents? all of the above, <laughs> all of the above. Yeah. All those things um, uh, I said earlier outside of, of the cage, yeah. you know? It's, putting it together is not yeah, quite put, the difficult part. Putting it together in this day and age, and it's kind of all connecting because we, we, we spoke about back in the day. You know, back in the right. day it was easy. You know, uh, now it's, you know, there's all these different factors, you know. Um, fighters have brands, and one yeah. guy doesn't want to fight another guy because of Instagram. or You know what I mean? Right. Just shit like that that you hear that you're like, man, <laughs> come a long way yeah for good and for bad but there's there's just different things you know the, the um, politics of it um getting guys uh you know just dealing with 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 fighters uh still is is the job managing the roster is the job putting the fights together yeah that's the easy part so you know that's the challenge managers fighters but look again it's a good thing. It's a good challenge because that's just a sign that the sport has grown. You know, it's a real sport now with money, opportunity for all of us right. uh, on the promotional side, um, on the fighter side. You know, we're 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 at a high level now, thankfully, and there's challenges to it, but it's it's a good thing. But 
What do you think about um, sponsors like what the UFC's done and what Bellator's still allowing to be done for for each guy? Um, look, the UFC. Like, for example, real quick, Luke, he's making much more now in his last few fights, but before that was still making good, good money. And then they would announce what Darren Till and Yoel Romero were making from Reebok, and Lucas was making the same as them on, on sponsorship-wise. Yeah. You know, so is it is – it, I understand what they're trying to do, but how much, are, how much money from the Reebok deal or the Venom deal is the UFC keeping – and not giving to the fighters and then allowing someone, you know, the difference between Bellator allowing them to have their own sponsors and, and put money in the fighters' pockets. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know what the split looks like, but, look, I, I will say the UFC is obviously very successful. I think they're having, like, their greatest year ever, yeah. you know, um, despite the pandemic and all these other challenges. Um you know, they run a very good business from from the promotional side, looking at how they operate. It's very impressive. Right. Like I got nothing, you know, they're they're kind of the uh, the standard. Right. But at the same but, time, like if everyone in the UFC said, screw it, we're not coming back because of the sponsorship deal, they could fire everyone, and have 600 guys on the roster tomorrow. Yeah. That just want to fight in the UFC. Sure. Right. So that's where the problem lies, because that's where, you know, the majority of people are, are trying to get. So it doesn't matter what they do, people are going to keep fighting there, you know, and that's what's it gets frustrating at a certain point. And where, you know, I was glad that my my Lucas and I were able to talk about him like this is the route we want to go. I could have I could have spoken to to Mick and done a contender series deal, you know, route and, and tried it that way would have sucked, you know, whether whether we won or lost. Um, it, it's just been I feel like. Every time we fight and every time I hear something over there, I'm just reassured that we're stoked on the decision that we made right. to begin with. And so, uh, yeah, I, just, I was just curious. I, I know, obviously, they're successful, but, like, uh, you know, guys like Mighty Mouse, they ate it. They had a, he had an Xbox sponsor. Yeah. You know, we're hooking him up, one sponsor for the whole deal, and then he got dropped down to 40. Yeah, that, that sucks, uh, but it's their platform. Yeah. They worked hard. They put it all on the line to create it. Yet I, I can look at it from, from two different standpoints, you know, and I'm, I'm obviously more of an advocate for fighters now um, that I'm not, in, you know, working for a promotion. But on the promotional side, I get it too. I would look over and say, well, that will benefit us in some way because, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get some people that want to have free reign with all their sponsors but i understand you know they created a platform i think those things were necessary to take the business to where they needed to take it, Got it. and um so i can understand that now that obviously doesn't satisfy a fighter who's losing money but i just think you know there are good managers out there and there are there you know just just do your thing control the controllables right you know i'm, I'm a firm believer in that um with 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 anything I do with my various projects, like especially over at Alta, like there's things you can't control. You just got to do the best you can. Let's keep winning. Let's keep let's keep dominating. You know, let's find the right deal. Let's find the right partnership where we can still grow with this brand outside of the cage. You know, we can't represent. You know, wear it inside, but let's find ways and right. other things we can do. Just just got to get creative. Um, in addition to look expressing yourself voicing your your concerns and your opinion i'm not saying just sit down and take it by any means right. continue to fight for what you believe in but at this while you're doing that 
you, you, you can't just do that. You can't just, just, you know, just complain. You have sure. to find other ways to get creative and, um, Generate and, that. uh, yeah, find a way to, to make up for it or, or, you know, get creative and, and find different things you can do to, uh, to kind of get, 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 get what you need. And I know that sounds very cliche and whatnot, but you have no other choice. All right, right. Like there's guys that have been in the UFC forever despite all, all these, you know, changes and they've adapted and they found other ways to be successful. Yeah. So it's one thing, um, you know, that, but that was very uh, beneficial for um, Bellator because some guys were making so much on sponsors. Yeah, they came. Yeah, it was almost like the fight money was the gravy right. and the sponsorship was really where they were really making the real money, like yeah. annual deals, monthly deals. They were living off the sponsors. And it's funny, the fight money, fight purse was like just the bonus. Yeah, R Rory is an example. I know it was making a, a great amount of money on sponsorship and and uh, guys that came because of that reason alone. And, you know, that was one of the, not one of one of the reasons, but it was a, one of the perks for sure about doing, you know, the state or going going with Bellator to begin with. And just because he, he was already, Lucas was doing well as an amateur in, yeah. with sponsors. And I was like, well, as a pro, it's got to be great, you know? And, and so it's gotten, you know, better and better. So I, I love that route. And if it's, you know, hopefully it, it stays, but I don't know, you know, who, who knows everything changes, but um, hopefully it stays that way for at least for, for quite a while. Yeah. So last, talk to me about Alta. Alta, yes. Um, so I transitioned, I left Bellator about a year ago. Um, it's funny, I just woke up one day, you know, you will relate to this completely. I was at Mohegan and spent so much time there. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> lived there for several months and look, grateful for the opportunity to get going again during the pandemic. But I just woke up one morning and I was like, man, I'm I got two young kids at home. And I just thought, man, I, I think I'm I think it's time for me to try something different. I think it's time for me to move on. I just it just. When you know, you know, right? right? I'm sure you've had moments in your life where you're like, yeah, this just feels like it's time to transition. Fortunately, I, I met a guy named Nick Langton who's over in Australia and John Cavanaugh. Um, they both approached me and, 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 and heard that I was, uh, you know, looking to transition and asked if I would um, like to join their company, which at the time was called Wimp to Warrior. Yeah. I'm like, man, what a goofy ass name. <laughs> but I uh, I was starting to get to know Nick and I had known John already. I really like and respect John. And I said, you know what? Tell me more fellas and give me some things to research and look at. And so they sent me a whole bunch of stuff. I spent several hours on zoom with Nick over in Australia. And I, and I really started to um, understand the business and, and, and what they do. And I fell in love with it. Um, I got into the game and into the business as a fan first and also as a practitioner first. I right. love training, I love martial arts. And you and I both sit here because that's what gui has guided our lives, right? It's changed our lives, oh, yeah. given us everything, really. And I saw what this company does and, and essentially what, it, you know, what, what, what the mission is and the ambition is to take this thing that you and I love, that a lot of people love, that's helped us, and bring it to the masses to help them experience some of that magic you know, and it's not to be a pro fighter. I'm not a fighter. Right. I enjoy training like one, but I'm not a fighter. But it's done so much for me. And I feel like if other people in the world could experience that, the world might just be a better place. I know that sounds corny, but if more people had respect, discipline, and, 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 <laughs> and went through the grind, 
um, perhaps we wouldn't have all of this crazy shit happening, or maybe there'd be less of it. So the company's ambition is to is 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 basically that you know the big picture to take MMA training, martial arts to the masses to help change people's lives. And I thought, well, that's fantastic. That's that's amazing. Right. And then you start getting into how you do that, and it's done through gyms and coaches all over the world, and. You and I both know owning a gym is is tough. Yeah, it's tough. It's a labor of love. You didn't you didn't open this place up thinking I'm gonna make millions <laughs> of dollars and sit back and watch the money come in. You you open this this amazing facility up because you love to teach. You love martial arts, yeah. and so when I saw that the way that we take the the sport to the masses is through you know, gym owners and, and helping gyms and coaches and helping that whole industry, elevating it because fighters are making more money now than they ever have, right? Yep. And I know there's there's a lot that aren't that there's a lot to be said about it not being enough, but it's 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 the most that there's ever been. Right. Fight promotions are doing well. They're growing. They've got a lot of money to pay out these days more than ever. So those two industries are doing great, right? Or those two categories in our industry are doing well. On the gym side, gyms are still struggling. Coaches are still broke, no matter who you coach. Right. You can have the best guy in the world. Those guys aren't necessarily completely benefiting financially from it, right? So I saw this as a, as, as, as a way to, to go in and help that sector to help elevate, you know, give gyms extra um, uh, uh, um, revenue opportunities, give them more visibility, give them more marketing. This company, what it essentially does is puts the spotlight on gyms like yours uh, while focusing on people that, that never thought about training, that, that, that drive by here every day, but for one reason or another, never pulled up and walked in and talked to you. Right. So that's, what, that's how we get those people in to train and change their lives. So I thought, okay, big picture, changing the world, changing lives through MMA helping gyms and gym owners man this is like this is really cool right. this is really cool i get to work with my friends like yourself all over the world and help their um help their businesses grow while bringing them new people you know to, to learn and discover mma and so it's very fulfilling on 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 on, on you know those two levels helping average everyday people helping gym owners and so i'm seeing this whole dynamic and i'm like i'm in yeah. but the name guys you know like <laughs> went to warrior i get it it um the it, concept makes sense it's a great way to identify and signal the transformation you're going from a wimp to a warrior i get it but is there a different way to to do that nobody wants to be called a wimp um and you're not a wimp when you show up the hardest part is showing up, sure. right? You respect everyone that just shows up to train. It might not be getting as good as some of the other guys, but there your is. respect for them is is there. And so if you show up and train, you are not a wimp. So we just wanted to create a brand that was more inclusive. Um, and and we worked with a really great company out in, Aust in uh, excuse me, in uh, New Zealand. They did the Uber Eats campaign, a really amazing creative agency. And they presented us with the Alta brand and we really spent a lot of time uh talking about it dissecting it you know going through the ins and outs and we felt like it was the right fit it was the right brand so we went from wimp to warrior to alta 
and uh, things are going great. You know, we're, uh, um, I'm responsible for the growth of the brand in uh, North America. Uh, we've launched at several really amazing gyms. Um, I'm proud to call these guys partners over at, you know, uh, Daniel Cormier Wrestling Academy, uh, El Nino with Gilbert Melendez, Extreme Couture, Combat Sports Academy, um, Systems Training in Hawthorne, so on and so forth. And we're, we're I'm getting ready to launch uh, more programs next week, you know, with Alberto Crane. Oh, yeah. Rafael Cordero, the guys the in, in, yeah, Kings oh, nice. is on board. Um, the guys at uh, Black Sheep um, and over in Austin, they run an, an amazing program. And so having the opportunity, uh, Fight Ready over in Scottsdale launches uh, next Monday as well. So, you know, we have the, this amazing opportunity to work with a lot of my old pals sure. that are really doing amazing things at their gyms, helping them grow, helping them make some more money and, and, and bringing new people in. So, to, to help grow the sport in that way, to me, was just this amazing challenge. And I felt like it was the right time for, um, for uh, me to do it. So um, a year, a little over a year in, things are going well. And eventually, you know, uh, we're going to bring it over here yeah. to, to, to next generation and get people in Frisco um, sure. doing things that they didn't think they could do, doing things that they didn't think were impossible. That's always the exciting part, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember when I heard you were leaving, I started to panic. And I was like, wait, what? And I messaged you and, and found out you were leaving. And then here we are now. You you had left Bellator, started doing this. And here I am now, you know, going to transition into, you know, at one point doing the, the Alta here at my gym and, and staying connected with you. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's been awesome. And now you're living in Texas, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how this whole thing. <laughs> it's crazy. Um said earlier i've been extremely nostalgic be 43 this year and i know that's not old but as i get older i appreciate uh moments like this relationships like this i I met you 20 years ago on a tiny little island in the south pacific yeah never at one point that i ever think that we'd be friends for this long and stay connected much less think that i'd sign your son to belt (laughs) to a, a fight organization i was working at uh, much less think that he'd be coaching my son downstairs wrestling and that we'd be living in Texas together because you weren't even at, in Texas at the time, right? No, no, I've been here for 16 years and it was, it was before I moved here in 2006. Um, so yeah, I was, no, I was still, I was still living in California. Yeah. And life. Here we end up in the same state doing a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> life is uh, life's a trip. Um, and again, what was the connector, the glue, uh, martial arts, yep. our passion, um, for this, uh, amazing sport. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for it. Um, you know, thanks for welcoming me, uh, not only to the show, but to Frisco and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the future, man. The future is awesome. bright for you and Luke. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like we're doing the right thing. I feel like we're doing it right. Um, that's mo- most important, I think is being able to do it right, you know, and, and I've guided him, you've guided me and it's just kind of gone the right direction. And, and yeah, again, you know, martial arts, uh, something I didn't even think my kids would be into. You know, now they're, you know, one's wrestling D1, the other one's fighting, and now the one that's wrestling wants to fight when he's done. And It's a family biz, man. Yeah, you know, it is. That's, that's and the... again, so crazy. Your son now is wrestling. Lucas is coaching him, and it's just yeah. the, the, the way the, the world turns, I guess. Yeah, very awesome. feel good, and... Uh, yeah, to me, that's that's that that's all I want these days. Those, those are the moments that I'm going after. It's not necessarily sign the next big thing. 
um, you know, next big fighter, put on mega events. It's really moments like that. It's helping people. It's reconnecting with people on a different level. And um, I know it might sound corny, cheesy, and all oh, this guy's getting old and soft. Uh, maybe, but it's all right. That that's where I'm it's at important. in life, and that's that's what makes me feel good. So awesome. Well, thank yeah. you for coming on, man. I appreciate it so Thanks, much. Man. Thank you. Hey, the, <laughs> the whole we were talking about that. That was my whole... Scott Coker. Real quick before we go. Finally got to meet Scott Coker. Lucas is on the fight card. We're walking over to check the check scale. And for whatever reason, Scott's sitting in the red corner's locker room on the phone right next to like literally the scale is here and his chair is next to it. And he's on the phone. I'm walking up to the scale and he sticks his hand out while he's on the phone. And I was like, oh, cool. He wants to shake my hand. So I go to shake my hand and he's fist bumping. So then I go to fist bump and he puts his hand out to shake. And I was like, and I just shook his wrist basically and I apologized. I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just walked away. I walked back to the locker room. I was like, hey, Luke, I think I just got you fired. <laughs> He's like, great. Yeah, rough, rough first impression. But uh, <laughs> I think you guys are going to be all right over there. Awesome. I thank you for setting it up. Appreciate it. Yeah, you got it, man. Thank you. Thank you. It is all over. Just like that. <laughs>